You are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, football fans? Welcome on in to another episode of the Locked On NFL Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jake Lisko, along with your other host of the Thursday show, Ryan Tracy. Today we've got free agency updates for you before we get into some thumbs up and thumbs down. On a few teams' halls in free agency, we'll talk about whether we agree with consensus or not. We'll find where the disagreements are. We've also got some pro day numbers for you from Wednesday's pro days. Some very interesting testing from South Carolina and South California. Both USC's doing some testing today. And we're going to start the show with an update on Deshaun Watson. We haven't talked about Deshaun Watson on the Locked On NFL podcast since last Friday. That was Chris and Q with an update then. A lot has happened, and the NFL at this point has decided to launch its own investigation. So Lindsey Jones over at The Athletic has done a fantastic job reporting what's going on with Deshaun Watson's case. There are 16 civil lawsuits that have now been filed. The NFL is going to now get involved and do their own investigation. She's got it all written out in the article. Highly encourage you to go check that out. But we're going to talk about it a little bit here as well. Ryan, 16 allegations since we last talked on Thursday. This news that the NFL will be doing its own investigation. It will be led by Lisa Friel, the NFL's special counsel for investigations. And they don't have subpoena power or anything like that, like a legal institution would. But they do have the cooperation of the prosecuting attorney, Tony Busby. I think it's interesting, and it could be more. By the time that you hear this, it could be five more for all we know because it seems to be just an exponentially growing group of complaints. And the great thing is that these are filed lawsuits, so you're going to get some of that evidentiary exploration from the two sides. Hopefully we'll get some of that. It's very interesting to me, and I'm glad that the NFL has set up their own investigation because at the end of the day, there are two sides here that seem to be battling back and forth, and at I think a, a third party that is maybe a little bit more impartial, not maybe, they probably are, but they're concerned about the shield as always with the NFL. I think that perspective is going to be valuable in, in wading through all of the things that are going to come forward. And from a procedural perspective, like you said, you get the evidentiary proceedings in the court of law with the civil cases that have been filed. The NFL's collective bargaining agreement also allows for evidentiary hearings and discovery so there will be that opportunity in the NFL's process as well. At some point, Lindsay also writes, Deshaun Watson will probably meet with Roger Goodell when it's safe to do so. He'll probably be with his lawyer. And one thing that's interesting to note when you look at how the process has changed in the NFL over time in terms of discipline being handed out, it's no longer Roger Goodell as the judge, jury, and executioner in NFL disciplinary action. That changed in the new CBA and the arbiter of Deshaun Watson's fate, if there is any immediate action taken, is an officer jointly appointed by the NFL and the NFLPA. So no longer just the commissioner of the NFL making these choices, but somebody jointly agreed upon by the Players Association and the league. And again, that adds two more voices or at least point of views 
to what is in this case a very serious set of allegations. Maybe that doesn't happen every time that this body has to be implemented, but it gives you two sides on the outside doing their own separate investigations. There will be a law enforcement factor eventually. And now there are two bodies that have different points of view within the NFL doing their investigation. I think the more light you can shed on a situation like this is really the best process to go through in order to get down to what actually did and did not happen. That's obviously going to be the most important thing here is getting to the bottom of this, finding out the absolute truth of the matter. And that's the direction that the courts will take. That's the direction the NFL will take. I think Lindsay does a really good job of pointing out in her piece as well that the NFL's investigations can take quite a long time. Their investigation into some allegations about Antonio Brown still ongoing. She points out that the investigation into Ezekiel Elliott took more than a year before Goodell eventually handed down a six-game suspension. So the NFL's process could be quite lengthy. The civil court process obviously could be quite lengthy. The obvious and probably less important in a lot of ways compared to finding the truth of the matter here, football implication is Deshaun Watson technically could still be traded. And Lindsay does go into that aspect of things because he's still a football player on a roster. And she points out that any team that's interested in acquiring Watson at this point has a lot of homework to do of their own. There will probably be some independent investigations conducted by some teams as well. And just unfortunately, this is going to be a drawn out process as everybody tries to get to the bottom of it. And I think at some point that's what, is probably the driving factor here is that if all those entities want to do their own investigations, it slows down the whole thing. There is this concept of a holdout because he says he won't play for this team. And if he doesn't, that puts the investigation that much farther down the road that well into the season is probably well within the the defined expectation of this time frame. So that puts him not on anyone's field is a significant possibility as we sit here today for Deshaun Watson. Whether he has proven to, that this is complete uh, fabrication or whether he actually did something wrong, either way, this 2021 season looks like it may be in jeopardy no matter what the outcome is. And the circumstances will change. We'll find out more as we go along. It looks like this may be a battle of leaking information. When we know more, we'll let you know what you should know. And there are not just changes in going on with Deshaun Watson and those particular entities. There's changes all over the league, and there's a couple that are really exciting, I think, for what it means for the future. We're going to get to those, including T.Y. Hilton, next. The chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics versus us do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're reliably low. rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing their prices based on whims like the airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require a membership or an account login. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend twice the money for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. 
Everybody knows about March Madness, but Built Bar is running their own Built Bar bracket this month, and we are into the enticing eight. We've got the second enticing eight matchup of the bracket. Mint Brownie going against Coconut Puff. My favorite is still in it. Coconut Brownie Chunk. Man, that one's good. Real pieces of brownie in a protein bar. Can you imagine? Built Bar has the macros you need to get your workout on. Good amount of protein, high protein, low calorie, low sugar, high fiber, and it tastes like a candy bar. Literally tastes like a candy bar covered in 100% real chocolate with flavors ranging from the mint brownie, coconut puff, cookies and cream, birthday cake, coconut brownie chunk, you name it, they've got something for you. Go check it out right now at BuiltBar.com. Find your favorite flavors. And when you place that order, use promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off. T.Y. Hilton, back with the Indianapolis Colts. He will be there for Carson Wentz to go along with Michael Pittman, Marlon Mack, Naheem Hines, who actually might be one of the more exciting players out of that bunch at this point. <laughs> but you're pretty excited about this one, Ryan. Do you think this is going to be a key ingredient in setting up Carson Wentz for success with his new team? I think it just may be. And there's a couple of things that stand out for me for this. And you, People who listen to me all the time will get probably rolling their eyes at this point. But I like the old school concept of a player staying with his team, playing his career out and calling it done. I think it's a great concept. And I think this one in particular... In this world we have now where everybody changes teams and free agency is all about the dollars for the most part and everybody's hopping around the country, I like the concept not only of staying in that town. He had a nice uh, social media post that he put out there you know, and talked about staying at home and being in that community, and I, I think that's great, especially for Indianapolis itself. I think that that is a place that a lot of people like to call home. It's a great deal for him. I was surprised at the the contract terms. Uh, a one year, ten million with eight guaranteed. That's incredible. So everybody's winning here, and I think the one guy that doesn't get talked about enough is Wentz because I think he needs the help. I think he needs the dynamicism. And quite frankly, after last season, I'm pretty comfortable with Hilton playing the the year for him. What do you think? I really like Matt Harmon's work. He does the reception perception stuff. He breaks down wide receiver success rate, how often they win on their routes. He's got all the different routes broken down. He's got the the man versus zone versus press percentiles broken down, the success rates for all of that. And he's loved T.Y. Hilton, I think, for a lot of his career. For, for a lot of his career, T.Y. Hilton was between a 72 and 65% success rate against man coverage, according to Matt Harmon's work. Last year, that went all the way down to 49.2%, which is in the third percentile of his charting. So there are definitely some concerns for T.Y. Hilton and his ability to consistently win the way he did when he was a younger man. But Harmon does point out a couple things that are really interesting, and I wonder how you think this fits with Carson Wentz. He's still winning the post route, the corner route, and the out route at some pretty over average, above average clip. Do you think that that is going to mesh well with Carson Wentz and Indy? You know, if he goes back and he is actually healthy, I think that could mesh very well. The question is, as with everything that always is, is where is Carson at physically? And can he deliver the ball? The other thing that I do like about 
Um, the perception that hopefully all the other teams have as well is that that he can't win out there on his own any longer. I think that might see some coverage changes. He might look at not having to go into too high all the time, which I think actually plays into his ability to run those corners in particular. Um, I'd like to see them get to more of a drag game for him and run that intermediate like 12-yard drag that I think would be perfect for both of them in this case. Get him on the run, get some yak out of him. And let Carson deliver the ball and uh, call it a play. You know what I mean? Let's not make Carson hold on to the ball too long. Uh, if I know Frank Reich, I think they'll have a nice mixture of both. I think it'll be really interesting to see how the Colts deploy T.Y. Hilton this year to see if they go add somebody else in the draft to play outside to get him more snaps in the slot. You see a lot of guys, I think, transition into the slot. I think at this point in his career, T.Y. Hilton, to me, profiles to be a good fit to get more snaps in the slot after last year, he was down to about 14% of his snaps at wide receiver coming from the slot. A lot of his targets though, coming in the intermediate part of the field. I think that that can continue. He can probably continue to win there. I, I just wonder if the deep ball is still there for him last year. He only was targeted on 11 deep balls and I know it's Phillip rivers and that's a different quarterback than Carson Wentz. And so maybe there's something that can change there. He only caught four of those 11 deep targets. So I'll be interested to see if he's going to get any vertical sideline shots anymore or if they do reserve those deep shots to kind of be the post where reception perception was very kind to him and he was pretty productive, relatively speaking, last year. Let's play a game though, Ryan. We've talked about T.Y. Hilton and the Colts. Let's play a very simple game. Thumbs up, thumbs down. This is an audio platform, so it's a perfect visual. For our listeners, thumbs up, thumbs down on some free agency hauls. And let's start with a team that has been, I would say, modestly active in the Baltimore Ravens. They haven't found any pro bowlers to trade a fifth round pick for yet this offseason. <laughs> Maybe that's still coming. Maybe not. One of their bigger moves was picking up a cut player that doesn't count in the compensatory pick formula in Kevin Zeitler. What stands out to you the most when you're looking at Baltimore's Hall, and are you happy with it? Do you think they've done enough to get over that hump with Lamar Jackson? I'm kind of middling. I, I like the Zeitler signing. I think that's good value, especially at the contract. What we saw the Chiefs do with Tooney, I think, really offsets where those two players are, and clearly the value was in Baltimore, but you lost both of your edge rushers, right? And I don't know that there's enough there to make me feel like you're going to be able to put out a defense that can get to the opposing quarterback to help Lamar in that aspect. And I don't know that it's all about the offense. The offense has been quite a focus in Baltimore for quite a while. There's still the lingering question about Orlando Brown. Is that going to be something that settles out and just gets played out? Or is this whole, I want to play a left tackle thing, I got to get out of town? How much does that disrupt this team? Well, maybe that's where they find their fifth round pick for a pro bowler kind of trade. And they're going to go rob somebody with an Orlando Brown, tra Orlando Brown trade that we don't see coming. I'll tell you one thing that I do like about Baltimore's offseason, not related to Orlando Brown at all, because that could land them more draft capital. But yep. they, they so far have two fourth round compensatory picks that are lined up for next year. And this is something that Baltimore does really well. They draft well. They lose some of the guys they've signed. They do a good job of, of keeping their own guys that are talented, that they have a plan for. They do a good job of going out and getting the, the guys that were cut. Looking at the free agents they've signed, they've only signed four players that played for a different team last year. And I, I don't think very many of those counted in the compensatory pick formula. 
And, and we talked about Kevin Zeitler. So they lose Yannick Ngakwe. They, use Matt, they lose Matt Judon. They get huge returns in terms of comp picks for those guys. And they kept a bunch of their own. To me, though, what, what's missing here is there, there's – I know that, you know, the, the defense is something that we're going to have to talk about. But how are they – when are they going to get Lamar Jackson a, a wide receiver? Is it going to be Rashad Bateman, the very popular mock draft pick to the Ravens? And I would love that for them. But – I thought that, you know, they, they were in on Kenny Galladay. They were they were in on Sammy Watkins. They didn't get any of those deals done. And at this point, there's not a whole lot left. No, at this point, it's it's role-playing at the wide receiver position in free agency, right? It is <laughs> compliment. Let's put it that yeah. way. Um, to get somebody that is going to come in and be a force. And on, you have to take a serious step back, though, because was there a miscalculation in Hollywood? Did your evaluation lead you astray? What can you do with this first-round pick that doesn't put you in the situation where you have a very talented physical player that doesn't put up the numbers that you need to help Lamar? I think this draft in particular, just to follow this whole year, to tell you the truth, is maybe about taking the safe bet at the position rather than the explosive bet. You know, I would like to see them get a guy that can take on the the press in particular, that can beat whatever's thrown at them, and it has a propensity to fight through contact. That's what I'd be looking for if I was the Baltimore Ravens. So you're saying Rashad Bateman and not Rondale Moore? I think that's probably a safe bet. I, I'd be thinking Terrace Marshall myself, but you know. Okay. Well, we'll see what direction the Baltimore Ravens go in a few weeks here. The draft coming up just a few weeks away. Maybe they go edge rusher. They only kept Tyus Bowser after all. We know Baltimore likes to have edge rushers in that AFC North. We're going to hit one more thumbs up, thumbs down coming up next, and then we'll hit some interesting pro day results from Wednesday. That's coming your way to finish up the show. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are going to be back in full swing, and Bet Online even covers award shows, reality TV, all kinds of stuff. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. The promo code's locked on for Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Another team that we need to get into is the New York Giants, a team that needs some help, and they've made some moves here that I think are going to do that. But a young coach, a young quarterback – Clearly, weapons were the forefront of what they were trying to do, and I think they got some of that done. The question is going to be, what does it do to their cap down the line? What do you think, in particular, the Kenny Galladay signing? Well, the Cincinnati Bengals were also in on the Kenny Galladay signing, and I try not to talk about the Bengals to an exorbitant extent because I host that show as well, but that was really fun with with the Bengals fans going and the New York Giants fans going back and forth with their hashtag wars, Ken NY Galladay and Gala D-E-Y for who day. So that that was fun. It was fun to just be a part of that. Uh, but what do I think of the signing for the Giants? Good for Kenny Galladay is what I think. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they, they structured this deal in a very interesting way where the year one cap hit for Kenny Galladay is extremely minimal. $4.4 million on a four-year, over $18 million APY deal. So you, you do some very quick mental math, and you know that there's some very big cap hits coming in subsequent years. In 2022, that cap hit goes up to $21.1 million. In 2023, $21.4. In 2024, $21.4. And in 2025, he's not on the team anymore, 
but there's still a cap hit left for Kenny Galladay because they used that void year, $3.4 million. So they pushed as much of this money as they possibly could into the future. They went in on a weapon for Daniel Jones. And at this point, the one thing you can say about the Giants is there aren't any more excuses for Daniel Jones. And when you look at what the Giants have done on the whole retaining Leonard Williams on that massive deal, going out and getting a Dory Jackson, $13 million a year after he was cut, and this massive deal for Kenny Galladay, there's some quality players here. For sure, some quality players here. I just look at the contracts and think, wow, you guys really had to pay to get them, and, and I hope it works out. So I don't necessarily love what they've done, but I, I do like some of the things they've done in terms of keeping their really good interior defensive linemen, but it's a lot of money. In terms of getting that number one receiver in Kenny Galladay, but it's a lot of money. And in terms of getting a guy in a Dory Jackson who could very well play up to that contract. But guess what? It's a lot of money. It's all a lot of money. They're empire size contracts for the empire state. And uh, from Justin X's no standpoint, kudos to them because it's not just about Kenny Galladay. Yes, you got a number one receiver for him. You also supplemented with some speed that doesn't seem to always stay healthy in John Ross. Maybe that can change there in New York and give you that stretch the field option as well. Kyle Rudolph, I think that signing is probably pretty tame, I think, in terms of being outlandish. What is it, two years for $12 million, four and a half signing bonus? Like He's somebody that I think can support Daniel Jones in a way that allows him to come off of primary areas that might not be there, to be comfortable in that. And in the room, to get prepared for it, they brought in Mike Lennon, who is, uh, unbeknownst to me, still in the league but knows how to prepare for a game plan. I think that will help overall in the way that the offense works as well. And Devontae Burker's looking to make a, a bounce back there in New York as well. Kudos to him. I have a tendency to disagree with you in Adoree Jackson, though, because for a team that drafts him, that gets positive play out of him, and then decides not to retain him, and we heard all these stories about what happened in rehab after the injury and why he's not there, this seems like a very big risk contract for me that I think is a little bit overblown. I, I was really interested to see where this player landed in particular because I love his upside. I did not expect this value. Oh yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, sorry if it seemed like I think this was like a great deal or, or a player that's a sure thing. I, I think that what I was trying to portray there is it, you're, you're exactly right. There's upside. He could live up to that value but it's a lot of money and, and to me, yeah, I agree. There's a lot of risk there. I do like the player, though, and so mm. it could work out. And And I do want to credit the Giants for going in and maximizing, you know, th their spend this year by, by putting the cash up, by minimizing those year one cap hits when you've got that rookie quarterback contract. They're, they're doing the right things from a cap management perspective in a lot of ways, despite the amount of cash they're putting out there. So... I think that some of those moves have a chance to pay off for them, but they need these players to stay healthy. They need the offensive line to gel. They need Daniel Jones to continue to progress. So they're putting the pieces there to do it and make a run in the NFC East, that, that crazy place where a different team wins the division every year. And I think the Washington football team had a very good offseason and will present a very challenging defense for them to deal with. But it, it's, uh, it's going in on Daniel Jones. And I guess that's just where the Giants organization and Dave Gettleman are. It's like it's the biggest position in football or something. And mm. I want to give one more shout out to uh, Reggie Ragland, 
a drop down Sam linebacker and somebody who could stop the run that might help you against Zeke or uh, even Gibson in Washington, like, you know, a really low level signing that I think may actually put in some serious snaps to help them. Kudos to them. It looks like they're, they had a plan and they're following it. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point in that division with, uh, with Zeke and that Dallas offense out there. Let's hit some pro days though, shall we? Before we wrap up, JC Horn, Amon Ra, St. Brown, Elijah Vera Tucker, both USC's have their pro days going on today. Are we officially bi-coastal at this point? I guess we are. I mean, we've done this a couple of times now going through all those divisions and now both USC's. Joe Horn's son had a real nice day for himself. And one of one of my friends on Twitter made a made a funny observation. How about being the son of a wide receiver and not only any wide receiver, but Joe Horn, of all people, deciding you're going to play cornerback and then going out and testing the way he did. Just absolute freak numbers. Great day for him. If you just want to compare numbers, the son may have surpassed his father at that point. I love seeing that kind of competition. And you got to think that uh, you can envision in the backyard, right? Um, a five year old. And dad's teaching him how to try to guard him, right? And that's how the evolution of, of playing defense comes from a wide receiver's kid. I think it's great. And I, I'm very intrigued by the player. He is higher on my uh, draft board than probably most. I like his game. I think it is very telling, though, that uh, there was a choice not to run the agility drills. That does give you a little bit. And when you see it on film, you'll understand why. Yeah, you, you see that with a lot of guys. And it's been very common. It was common last year. When we had a combine, it, it seems to be coming up this year a lot as well. Patrick Sertain, who also tested very, very well. Great burst, great speed, good size. Didn't do the agility drills. So this seems to be a bit of a trend with guys that they know they're not going to probably put up great numbers in the agility drills. And then they just don't do them. You're seeing it in the offensive line. You're seeing it at corner. I uh, would be interested to see how much we see it at wide receiver as we keep going as well. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of back and forth. You know, there are a couple other guys there uh, at South Carolina that I did want to say uh, did stand out to me in a positive way, one way or the other. One of them being a, a guy that I think is a candidate for a position change in Israel, Mukwamu, I believe is how it's pronounced. A big, tall, like zone corner guy that I think when you move him to safety in the NFL, I think is going to give you something. Didn't get a 40 on him, but I like his upside. Uh, Shai Smith looks like he had a good day. Um, I like his agility drills in particular. Uh, there's one guy who did choose to run them, but it looks like it was a pretty good day for the Gamecocks. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that Shai Smith had a pretty good day too. 5'9", another very similar, like he's, well, I guess he's taller than Rondale Moore. A little bit slower, 4'4", 3", unofficial is what I see for him. So that's a pretty good time. And like you said, that four, or sorry, that six eight three three cone, is a pretty nice time for a wide receiver. So I, I th what do you think that does for him? Does that move him at all? I mean, that, that's got to be stuff that you expect to see. Do you think, I mean, I think this happens more on draft Twitter and from the, the draft media than, than in NFL teams, but do you think these are going to get double counted or do you think there are any testing numbers you've seen or, or maybe let's specifically talk about USC today that you saw that change your perception on any of these guys? You know, I, I was pleasantly surprised with Amon Ross St. Brown running a very similar three cone at, at uh, what was it, six eight one. Not something that you probably would have estimated. I think that might move the needle a little bit for him because 
there's one thing to be asked to run a particular route against a particular defense. And then there's another thing to be able to show that you can do something in terms of movement beyond that. I think that's what that does for him. Shai Smith seems a little bit more like I had expected on film. So mm-hmm. I don't know that that needle moves just as much for me. What do you think? Well, I think Amon Ross St. Brown is a great one to bring up because there were some questions about his athleticism on tape and he goes out and has an 89th, 89th, 90th percentile workout according to Math Bomb, the RAS guy, relative athletic score. So that stacks his numbers up against the rest of the competition in combine and pro day history. And one thing, uh, just on the note of pro days here, that people are finding that track this stuff regularly, Kent Lee Platt included, that's Math Bomb, is that while there are that there appears to be inflation in athleticism scores this year because they're all happening at pro days. The, the inflation is in line with what I think they would expect to see at pro days. So the pro days aren't any better than previous year pro days. So when comparing and you want to do apples to apples, generally you want to go pro day to pro day, or you do your adjustments for these guys performing better on their own campuses. Yeah, you always get better times at pro days than you do at the combine. That is, unless there's some kind of problem, that is pretty consistent. And when I do the athletic matrix to break all these guys down, it takes all of those standards into consideration. And much like you see with the RAS scores, uh, the matrix actually combines them in different ways that is a little bit more functional. And so, what looks like a glaring plus on some doesn't necessarily get formulated down. But Amara St. Brown tested above the seven-year average in the athletic matrix overall. And I think that's encouraging for him because that was really the only question that I had. I think there are other guys out there as well. Um, Let's see, probably the most popular, um, not to dive too deep into the USC roster itself, is uh, AVT, I thought, came out in a pretty good spot athletically, but he's going to open the door to that same old conversation about how does an arm length have to be to play tackle in this league? What was he, 32 and a quarter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that means that for most teams, he's a guard. I mean, you could see some spot starts to tackle. That's kind of the versatility that he brings. I think very, very good guard. And similar to a guy that went and signed with the Chargers, a signing I really liked, Matt Filer. He was an undrafted free agent, so a little bit different in pedigree, but he's sub 33-inch arms as well, had really good size. He's probably a little bit heavier than Vera Tucker, but, I mean, Vera Tucker goes out there and does 36 reps on the bench. So he's got that upper body strength. I I think that probably means he can hold up on tackle like he has shown us on his college tape, but you don't necessarily want him there to maximize his ability. I think he's going to be maximized as a guard. And I think that's almost entirely because of the length question, because outside of that, the profile at tackle is probably okay, but length Mm -hmm. does matter in the NFL. We'll have more pro days to talk about. We'll have more draft news to talk about as free agency loses steam and wraps up. Chris and Q will have you covered tomorrow right here on the Locked On NFL podcast. And Ryan and I will be back with you next Thursday. Until then, football fans, have a good one. And thanks for listening.